0: Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. On today's episode, we're sharing a session from the Stockholm stop of the Future of Field Service live tour. This session is with Rule Rentmeesters, who is the Vice President of Services for Munters. Rule has actually been on the podcast before discussing uh, both their servitization journey. Uh, as well as how the company implemented uh, remote assistance to aid in um, travel bans at the beginning of the pandemic. In this session, we talk about uh, where things are today um, on both of those fronts, focusing on the role remote service plays uh, in service delivery as an organization moves toward servitization. I hope you enjoy. Rule and I have have had variations of this conversation many many times, um, but it's always a pleasure. It is. Yes. Um, okay. So so we're gonna talk I- talk about um, kind of the balance of working toward innovation, um, a, a bigger uh, vision of change while meeting the demands of the present day business, okay? Yep. So tell everyone a bit about yourself, um, what you do, what Munters does, yep. and then we'll get
1: started. Good, so I, I work for Munters, it's a Swedish company. Um, we do climate solutions for mission critical processes. Um, so everything that's related to humidity control and temperature control in, in, in critical environments is what we, what we do. And of course we try to do this in a sustainable way meaning that the way our energy consumption, et cetera, for our units is, is uh, controlled and help the customer in, the, in their processes. And I'm leading the services organization. Um, it's been five years that I work for Munters. My background is, however, in IT, where I've done field service for the last 20 years, um, which is actually good because the way IT has developed their service management from you know call centers and network operation centers and, and systems to control this, is very standardized using ETL. Uh, and I think there's a lot that we can apply from that IT industry uh, in, in our manufacturing world. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where I am in Munters, and it's really interesting. Yes, OK.
0: <laughs> All right, so, so at Munters, there's uh, this opportunity to servitize the business, mm. OK, as there is for, for many manufacturers. Um, also, probably a fair bit of resistance to uh, that amount of change. So when we talk about service transformation, I think, you know, particularly for um, those who are in manufacturing looking to servitize uh, the business, you're really talking about fundamentally like an identity change of of the business, and that can be um, challenging. So, what are some of, how would you describe the opportunity for Munters to servitize and what are some of the things that are, are driving that opportunity? Yeah. Uh,
1: I think servitization is fairly new in Munters compared to in other industries. We started, I would say, seven, eight years ago. I, I heard a colleague say in, in 2000 already. So we are quite new and we are we have been really a traditional manufacturing company so we build the big boxes in our factories, we sell them and sales and, s- and service was a support organization. And that changed a bit I would say uh, 2015 or just before that. Um, the first thing we did was change the service organization so where before it was residing into the BU's and it was pure support, we moved it into a separate business area. Um, And that really made a transformation happen so separate sales from the service organization So that they they, they don't abuse each other and started that that revenue generation in in, in service Um, It was quite successful and we are still quite successful in it So we have we have like 15% growth in the last uh, last years for service Um, but still mainly in our traditional services, so it is the commissioning, it is a break and fix, it is a preventive maintenance, and particularly the upgrades. Uh, so how can you uh, maintain maintain your units? And that's where we still are a bit today. Um, so we have not yet evolved into real connected devices and advanced services that need to be delivered. But that is something that we need to do in the next step, and that is what is, what is part of our roadmap right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say, Rule was at our Paris event, which was our first, Um, (coughs) and we we talked quite a bit there about the journey of servitization and sort of the continuum, right? And so the phase you're at, I think, is a phase where organizations tend to reach a level of complacency because they understand the benefit of focusing more on service Mm. and really the opportunity of the end vision, which is to actually servitize. But then they achieve a certain level of success in really that incremental improvement yep. type of of thing, and then say, "Oh, great! Well, you know, we've we've succeeded. So let's move on to this uh, this next thing." Um, and and that goes back to uh, the the level of change we're really talking about, right? So so it presents an opportunity for Munters. What are some of the aspects? Um, from the customer perspective, that are are making service more important yeah. or or a bigger opportunity. Yeah,
1: you can clearly see that today in the markets, um, customers want more than a product. They want product with the services around it, you know, and, and packaged. And they want to go into, you know, moving capex to opex lease concept where it embeds the whole service. And they also want to have more than just a box and and you repair it when it's when it's fixed. They would like to have a sustainable outcome uh, that you guarantee 99.6% of the time that thing is delivering what it needs. Huh? Customer wants to say these are my requirements and you just make sure they are fulfilled. Um, so less downtimes, more guarantees um, and even using technologies and softwares where you can certainly even influence their environments. Yeah? If you have a view on their entire production process and you have sensors that are beyond your own device, you can do a lot of analysis in, uh, in the customer environment. And one of the, the areas that we have, it's in the food industry, it's called food tech departments. They have sensors in the entire production, f- from from an egg up to a fillet of a, of a chicken, mm-hmm. and they can say if you give more water or your air quality or your airflow is like this, what is the influence on the fillet that comes out in the end? Does it take longer? Is it becoming bigger? Too big to to produce? So they can they can pinpoint what is influencing your pr- your pr- your process, and we can do the same. If a door opens and there's a lot of external air coming in, you can say to customers, well, this is influencing your, your production. Why don't you have your deliveries at night as an example? Because we see the peaks in our in our mm-hmm. unit saying, oh, something is changing in the environment, making that I need to work harder, I use more energy, or I even can't guarantee the outcome performance anymore. So that's why we need to go, it's more than a box, it is, it is the things around the box that we need to deliver. And customers want this, and they want also Fast response times. Um, They want to avoid even technicians going on site. That's something that you specifically saw during COVID, where people were afraid of having foreigners coming into their environment. So they want different kind of ways to deliver service than you're doing traditionally today by sending out your technician with his parts and his Mm screwdriver.
0: So I I don't have a. a, I don't create models. Okay, that's. We'll leave that to Tim Baines um, (laughs) at at the Advanced (laughs) Services Group, but. If I were to to just make the the continuum j- quite generic, right so so you start as product manufacturer service as a cost center, then you move to to the phase of um, identifying more opportunity of service and its revenue contribution and so putting more emphasis on it, which is really where you are today. Yeah. then you would move toward true servitization, yep. which is you're not selling products and services, you are selling the outcome, yep. okay? Um, and then the, the point you brought up is a very good one, is that there really is a, a fourth phase of, of this journey for those who, who choose it, which is if you connect devices in the way you would need to, to servitize, you also, um, in certain industries or applications, often have access to information that your customers find a lot of value in. So this is where you know, you can bring that insight, data, knowledge into the value proposition to kind of achieve that trusted advisor, yep. business partner type relationship. Yep. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, the point you made, which is, um, maybe in the future of field service, we go into the field less, right? Yeah. Um, so during uh, the very early points of, of COVID, um, Munters recognized the opportunity to uh, deploy remote assistance, which is an augmented reality tool, um, because you know the realities were you had technicians that could not travel, uh, et cetera. Now, this is something that had been on your future roadmap, uh, so it had already been a consideration, but you recognize the opportunity to get right to that. Um, so tell us a little bit about that mm. journey and, and getting it deployed initially, and, and then we'll talk about how, you know, now that travel is possible and, and things have normalized to a degree, what that means for yeah. that solution.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting time. So. Like, like you say, I, w- I had been looking into a remote management solution before and I wanted to use this mainly internally. So we have a, like a third line support organization for our service technicians and we thought how can we have a better interaction with them, guiding them uh, using mixed video, uh, two signals being sent and I've been looking into different solutions uh, and then in the World Conference uh, in uh, in, b- in Boston from IFS there was like a third solution that I that I saw but we would be rolling it out at some point, smaller scale, it was not so urgent, it would come. And then COVID hit us. Huh? So I was in Italy when the first patient came on the cruise ship in, in Italy, and I was with my president, and, and we said, you know, if this thing hits Europe, our Chinese technicians were already sitting at home, they could not travel anymore, we were like, yeah, how are we going to guarantee service to our customers? Because this preventive maintenance is really key in our units, uh, otherwise they break down and you get, you get problems in your production. So he said, you know, why don't we roll that, that thing out that you have been looking for? Why don't you roll it out faster? And so I contacted IFS and I said, you know, I, I saw this, um, this solution. I like it because it integrates with your field service management solution, meaning that if you have service calls and you would use this, the time you, you spend it, to whom you called, there would be a lot of registrations done uh, from the video link y- that you, you put in. So I like this for a future concept. Um, and so IFS was very responding very positively to this. Uh, we got 20 licenses for like two weeks that we could test for free. Um, we liked the solution, we gave it directly to our Italian engineers who were immediately stuck at home mm-hmm. to start doing uh, service with our customers. Um, then we bought the licenses and I think within a couple of weeks we had rolled it out for 200 uh, technicians worldwide. So, um, a very intuitive, easily to use solution it is. Um, it contains already training packages inside the, uh, the application. Um, you don't need an app to be installed on the customer environment, so you can just use uh, his web browser that he has on his phone and just a simple tablet, something with a camera. You can use it and you can interact with your, with your customer. Um, we asked our technicians to train to use it before, so they started calling each other using the solution and, and playing a little bit with it. And then we organized like seven training sessions where they could uh, dial into, came in with concrete questions because they had been playing with with the system. And so within two weeks, we had rolled it out for 200 uh, technicians in in 15 countries.
0: Mm -hmm. So the need for change management is minimized when there is no option (laughs) (laughs) for for business as usual, right? Um, And it was, you know, impressive that you were able to recognize the need, move quickly, get it in place, and that helped you with business continuity um, during those lockdowns. But now that that things uh, have have changed to be um, you know somewhat more normal, um, it gives you the opportunity and or challenge of looking at how does the opportunity for remote service fit into the broader. Yeah service delivery yep. strategy. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that today?
1: Yeah. First I need to say we saw a significant reduction in the usage of the of the system because our technicians and our customers still like you to go on site. Often they have this relationship as well. So it's not just anybody who is picking up the phone and doing this remote session with your with your customer. And in the end, you know, technicians will always have to go on site. We'll always have to do field interventions, commissionings and and trusted advisor as you as you mentioned customers still like this but it doesn't mean that this is not a solution that you can use and still use uh, for the future you need to have a good business model behind it. It's what we talked about earlier today Um, you can't sell we deliver remote management you need to sell a response commitment you need to sell uh, a fast response commitment, proper diagnose, faster potential resolution. So you need to have something behind it, an offering, and, and uh, a usage behind it. Mm-hmm. So we're building up our 24 by 7 service mm-hmm. uh, towards customers. And that will be, for me, twofold. It is connected units in the future where you can interact with the unit directly. It sends you an alarm or an alert, and, and you, you do something with the unit directly. Or you use a customer that calls you at night and is standing in front of that device And you do either your diagnose, help him maybe do certain things. um, So that is something that I see definitely as a a case, uh, a business case, uh, and an offering for for customers. Mm -hmm. Also, when you go into outcome-based services and you want to reduce that downtime, you cannot permit yourself to send a technician who goes on site, maybe has to travel for two hours, does a diagnose, comes back, orders a part, goes for a second time to fix it, you you don't have that luxury anymore at that time Mm -hmm. so you really need to have solutions that can help you uh, reduce the downtime and don't forget at the same time that technician that maybe does this one visit during the day if he's on duty to do remote management he can maybe serve 20 customers that day yeah so from a value proposition for your customers you have a, a different model yeah look at it also for warranty claims yeah warranty claims it's a pure cost So again, if you need to send a technician, you spend the time, you spend the costs. We now impose actually that you, uh, when a customer comes with a claim, the first thing we will do is set up this remote session. So we will diagnose with him before we really say, okay, yeah, that's a potential claim. And we continue further with our root cause analysis and all all these things. Mm -hmm. And second, the last thing is internally we use it. Our technicians still use it between each other. Um, The third line support is still using it. They, They haven't stopped using it. So there is definitely use. But I can feel that my technicians, they still like the, the interaction with their customers on site rather than, um, than doing the remote sessions.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the, um, the, the resistance uh, around remote service is that people think remote only instead of remote first. right? And so it, it's interesting if you go back to the outside-in view and putting the customer first. Um, you know, having these capabilities and making sure that, you know, if it's a quick and easy resolution, they're not waiting two hours or four hours Mm -hmm. for someone to arrive just to flip a switch or what have you. Um, And or when you do send someone on site, they know what they're going for, right? So they can make sure that they're um, achieving resolution the first time. So what's interesting is when you're at the phase of this continuum that you're at, it is tricky because there's a focus on service. Mm-hmm. You've achieved some good results in terms of improving service revenue, but you haven't yet servitized, no. okay? And so uh, from a customer perspective, a lot of times that service is still perceived as you know billable hours, face time, time in person, right? When you servitize, the potential for self-service and remote service increase exponentially in the sense of you're no longer having to justify the reduction of cost of service to your customers because you're only responsible for the outcome, right? And so it's kind of, the, the difference between that phase and the next and the role that remote service can play are, are pretty significant. Um, now that being said, the, the one other uh, point that I do see a lot of people having um, success with is using it for training of new technicians, yeah. right? So we haven't talked about this a lot today, but in most of the cities that we've been to, most of the conversations I have, you know, there are real challenges in recruiting and hiring and and retaining um, frontline workers. And so using uh, remote assistance, augmented reality as a way to have, you know, one very experienced technician uh, mentoring five or six or or whatever uh, new technicians in the field allows you to speed their time to value when they come on board. So there are some really strong uh, uses it's just a matter of, um, you know, like we talked about, the, the technology is here, the business model and everything else is here. And so when you have the capability, but that's not yet connected to your go-to-market strategy, you know, that's where, where some of that friction comes into play. Yeah. Um, okay, so we talked earlier about people process technology. So in, in your position, you are responsible for all three, right? Yep. Which do you find the most challenging? Uh,
1: the people one is the most important one mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to start with. Um, today we uh, we are running an initiative inside Muntus where we look into the entire end-to-end process and the systems that need to support that end-to-end process. So it's not just in the services organization, it is throughout the entire organization. It's a huge project. But we define that if we want to move into that next stage for servitization, the basics needs to be in place. Mm-hmm. You need to have a steady field force, you need to have really good processes, and you need to have the systems and the technology to support your way of working. And systems is not one. Yeah, it's not one ERP that does it all. You need to integrate it all. So technology is amazing. But bringing it all together and having it support your entire end-to-end process is uh, is, a, is a challenge. We've mm-hmm. been busy with this for two years now. There's 250 people working on that project. We're about to start a pilot in in uh, end of end of January. Um, so all three are a challenge. But the people are the m- most important one, and we've we've discussed it already all all mm-hmm. day long. If you don't do, if you don't have the buy-in, if you don't include the users in this process, um, get their business requirements, help them see what, what the testing, the end user testing, change management to communication. If you don't do these things, then you can have the brilliant technology and the best process. If they don't understand why and, and what it brings for them, they will they will not use it and you will fail in such a project. Yeah. So for me, people are the, one the most important ones.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what would you um, provide as your biggest lesson learned?
1: Um, I wanted to say that change management, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think it's something that is very cumbersome today in Muntus also, because the team is working so hard on trying to get this thing to work that I think they forget about the communication, mm-hmm. they forget about the inclusion. Um, another thing I want to say is break it into pieces. Yeah, if you have a long-term vision like servitization and and it's a lot of things together it's your your process your system how do you connect your devices what is the customer value you want to bring for it it's a lot of things um, you need to chunk that down and work in in sprints and and, and clear agile way like 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 we said before, mm-hmm. because if you want to do it all, you're bound to fail as well. So mm-hmm. break it down and make sure you communicate properly and do your proper change management.
0: Sounds so easy when oh you It is. It. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Alright guys, any questions for Rule?
1: What is your biggest challenge, do you think, going into servitization? You know, we've been talking for five years to connect our units and none of them are connected. So... <laughs> So I think the problem is a little bit the silos that we were working in. We had, like, I I analyzed 20 initiatives that started in local organizations to say, how do I connect our units or what are the sensors? Where should we put them? And they're all really good, but they were like local little things that were done. They form a good base for what we want to do now. So we are about to start the digitalization and connectivity. We call it digital services project. Um, And this time we're going to try to do it right. Um, a bit like, like the concept you've set up, where you have you bring different departments together and stakeholders together. You don't use only internal resources that have been in the company for a long time, but you bring in new blood with new ideas. You have a longer-term vision of what it could be, but you break it down into pieces to say, okay, this and this. And, this. and it doesn't need to be long, long um, low-hanging fruit, it's just what is it we can really do, what could bring benefit and value, and then it's communication. So. That, for me, is key to, to make it happen, so to go to this next stage, uh, and that's where we are not today.
0: I was gonna say, too, um, you know, the customer connectivity that's required, one of the challenges I see is, um, it, Baird, it goes back to your point of bringing in sales and marketing to the conversation, because what happens is you're going to customers saying, we need connectivity. Um, and they're saying, no, it's our data. Um, so it's leading with the need, not the value to them. right? So it isn't about the value it brings you to no. you know, <laughs> reduce truck rolls because they don't care. No. Um, but it, uh, if you can ask the question uh, framed in, in how it will help them right, what capability it gives you to serve them better. I'm not saying it's it's an easy fix, but I think that's the starting point of getting to a different response. Absolutely. Um,
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed that session from Rule. Uh, You can um, find more, including the earlier episodes uh, that he was featured on, by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at the Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.